Pace Line is supported by LEL Cycling. The coast is calling. LEL's shore collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LEL products are crafted in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now, on to the show. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits in our lives. And Patrick, I'm going to start with a little bit of a harsh, um, hard note this week. Um, As many listeners have maybe become aware already, a very dear friend and a very important person in our industry was very tragically hit on his bicycle riding back from the velodrome in Boulder to his, or outside of Boulder to his home in Boulder. Uh, that's Andrew Bernstein. He used to work at Bicycling. Uh, he now works with True Communications. He's, he's an all around really great guy. He puts on cyclocross races. He did Fifth Street Cross here. And I know he did Spa Cross up in upstate New York. And he is, it's, I, there's no sugarcoating it. It's bad. You know, he had to be airlifted to Denver and. um, Yeah, it's going to be hard one to get through, huh? He has. Yeah. uh, Multiple broken bones, a broken pelvis, a broken femur. He had collapsed lungs, internal bleeding. They. uh, Yeah, I mean, he's got a long road ahead of him. He 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 is stable. He is surrounded by love. We. uh, the biggest thing now, there's a story in the Daily Camera um, outside of Boulder. They are looking for a van. Uh, we can put a we can put the note in the show notes so people know what to look for. But, you know, whoever his bike was broken half. So whether the person was high, drunk or distracted, you don't hit somebody with that amount of force and not know that something just happened. So, yeah, that person um, left and they are not <laughs> they are not appearing and everyone is actively very actively looking for them so i know you became aware of it um this today morning. you know yeah i found out last weekend so i've had a little time to process that they they've been holding it very close to the vest getting legal advice and getting all the facts before rolling it out and it's in the news today so a lot of people are finding out today yeah well the other piece of this is aside from the fact that Bernie is a terrific guy who is absolutely beloved in our community. Uh, his partner, Gloria, fiance. Lovely. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so for for those of us who know both of them, it's hitting us twice. Yeah. And both very good friends and both wonderful in- industry people. Yeah. Uh, and my regard for Gloria because of the work that we've done on the features that I've done for bicycling, particularly 88 temples. Uh, Yeah. uh, She's got a pretty special place in my heart. They, I'm sorry, Patrick. They, they are both, both of them are tireless, tireless advocates for less fortunate people for the industry. I, I, you know, they are, they are that they are passionate 
tireless advocates. So I think, you know, everybody wants to know what they can do. Be a good human being. Be an advocate. Be like them. You know, if we all can be a little bit more like them, we've done something in this world. And I think that that's a good place to start. Uh, at some point, there might be a GoFundMe. We can keep everybody apprised of that, you know, and all of and all of those things. But I really do believe that um, when people like that touch you, one of the most powerful things that you can do is touch others in the in the very same way. Yeah. Classic case of pay it forward. Totally. Totally. <sighs> OK, well, uh, how about a brighter note at this point? <laughs> yeah, and let's. Yeah, we will. We will move. We will move forward. But um, uh, seriously, a lot of prayers. Send them out. Healing prayers. It, it, they both they both need it right now. Um, so myself, you know, and moving on to a it is a brighter note, but there's <laughs> there's still some hard string tugging to go on in my pool. I am uh, I am in the midst of getting ready for a week long charity ride next week. Uh, it's called the Pennsylvania Perimeter Ride Against Cancer. And just a little history on this thing. It was started in 1983 by um, a man named Bob Freed. And he is a teacher in, he's now a retired teacher. <laughs> Actually, he started this a long time ago um, in Allentown. And he lost, uh, you know, two close family members and a friend to cancer in a very short period of time and was feeling pretty helpless and he wanted to do something. So he gathered some friends and bought some maps and the 22 of them rode around the perimeter of Pennsylvania to raise money for the American Cancer Society. And they raised $20,000 that year, which I think is, yeah, which is really, which is ridiculous. I mean, there's no Facebook, there's no social media, there's no internet. There's nothing. Let's remember just how popular cycling was in 1983 (laughs) in the United States, you know? and and yeah, literally they have maps. I mean, there were no cell phones. I mean, that's that what they no GPS. Not, no, that's nothing. It's crazy. Um, you know, they wrote letters. They wrote letters to people and ra- and people got mailed in checks. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty phenomenal. So they that yeah, they raised twenty thousand dollars, which would be a lot of money for twenty two cyclists to raise now to go yeah. like for a ride. Like, there was there was twenty two of them. Anyway, so. You know, they were pretty empowered by that, but they they knew they wanted to keep it going. But they also knew it was totally untenable to, to ride a thousand miles around the state of Pennsylvania like every summer because that's just not conceivable. So the ride itself became biannual and they decided um, because they wanted to keep it grassroots volunteer and you'd burn out trying to do it every year. So they kept, they made it biannual and they decided that it would just be a uh, it would start at one place and come back to this town in Pennsylvania where one of the riders uh, was a pastor at a church uh, that, and that place. So they'd go 506 miles out. They'd come back. The ride has started everywhere from Montreal to Ohio to, you know, all kinds of different places. And they come back to Palmerton, Pennsylvania, which incidentally is where I was born and raised. Uh, oh, wow. Yes. That's how I came to know about the ride. Um, you know, we did, this is going to be our ninth ride. So I, it was, there was a flyer in the bike shop and I'm like, Palmerton, this thing goes to Palmerton. And then I went into it and I was like, okay, you know, and I, like, let's, I, I needed to know more about that. And it became very convenient once I had my daughter because we'd go and we'd drop my daughter off for the week and do this ride and come back and we'd have a reunion. So it was pretty cool. Um, so now 36 years later, the ride is heading into its 18th edition. 
uh, this month. You've done half of them. Isn't that crazy? I just realized that. Yes, this is this will be the ninth time that my husband Dave and I have done it. And, uh, you know, after our first ride, we were so bowled over by the thing that Dave joined the committee and he has helped root the ride ever since, which is a mission. I mean, you think planning one ride is hard? Planning six, 80 to 100 mile rides, you know, and they go out and they drive it to make sure that the the roads are as safe well, as possible. Well, he doesn't live on that side of the state. Well, it doesn't matter when it starts in like West Virginia. You have to go all the way to West Virginia and just ride. They ride the whole yeah. damn thing. Uh, Holy it, cow. Yeah, it's gotten. Can, and imagine before Google, like before Google Maps and everything made it that much easier. Again, they're looking at maps and they're talking to people. So, you know, technology has been amazing to help because you can actually they can use streets, you know, the views like the Earth view and all that kind of stuff to actually physically see some stuff. So it helps like not run into 12 dead ends on these roads that are on a map. But, you know, now whatever, not long since closed because they try to find quiet roads. And sometimes those quiet roads aren't there anymore or they're, you know, they end up somewhere anyway. Um, so they, they map the whole thing. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's pretty, the whole, the whole thing is amazing. I've done, I've done various charity rides over the years, but this one is the only one I've returned to. And the one that totally reaffirms my faith in humanity every time I do it, quite honestly, it's, we run into so many people who are so incredibly generous with us along the way. And, uh, you know, and a hundred percent, and I mean, 100% of the money we raise goes to the local American Cancer Society. And we've actually seen some of the money, what they do with it and dream come true, which is our local charity that grants wishes to gravely ill children. You know, 15% goes to that. We do make it a hundred percent by working our tails off to get everything donated and all our support volunteer. So we sleep in churches, we sleep in high school floors, we sleep in YMCA's, that's all set up by a volunteer organization during that two-year period. A volunteer drives a box truck filled with our belongings to each place. We are fed every night by very generous people at VFWs and American Legions, um, you know, who just <laughs> give us all the hamburger helper lasagna you could ever imagine <laughs> like to feed, <laughs> you know, 75 ravenous riders. Uh, oh, so it's, know, a, it's a fairly intimate affair. It is. It's, well, we keep it small. It's capped at 75 because you can't. Otherwise, we just couldn't do it. You can't ask VFW, you know, our American Legion ladies like, oh, could you cook for 300 people who have just been riding? You know, I mean, this is like they're stunned by how much we can eat the way it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there and there are volunteers who that we call them our support angels. They drive the whole time. In vans filled with water jugs and snacks in case we run out or we need support and drive the whole way, which is frankly 100% harder than riding the whole thing, as far as I'm concerned. They're up earlier and they're out there longer because they are the whole, you know, they're supporting every single person the whole day. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, so this year we're starting in Pittsburgh and we're riding the length of the state. Which for anyone who knows PA is going to be quite a mission because uh, Pennsylvania is bumpier than an old down comforter. 
Uh, we'll be hitting we'll be hitting some really interesting places along the way. We're going to go past the Flight 93 Memorial outside of mm-hmm. Shanksville, which I have not ever seen. Um, I've been to, you know, the one in uh, New York City, but I've not I've not been to that. So I do intend to stop and take some time to explore and, and give respects there. Uh, we'll be going up the Reading Pagoda Hill Climb, which I've actually ridden too many times, but it's always a super treat because it's this giant Japanese pagoda in the middle of Reading on top of a hill, which is ridiculous and amazing all at the same time. We'll head cool. up um, Hawk Mountain toward the end, which is another iconic Pennsylvania climb. And and we all wear these red ribbon tags that we write uh, the names of the people we're riding on uh, for on them. So, you know, I ride for a whole lot of people, but usually my dad is the first name on that tag because he battled prostate cancer many years ago, but has suffered the effects of the radiation treatment ever since. I mean, it is it severely impacted the quality of his life. And it's really, really moving to see, you know, all the people's red ribbons and some people have pictures on their bike. And there are many people, you know, I, I have this weird relationship with charity rides because it's not hard for me to do those miles, you know, because I ride a lot. You know, so like I, 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 you know, I do my fundraising and I, and I, I try to support others, but it's just like, I'm not suffering so much. And, you know, and I know that, but there are many people on this ride who don't ride that much otherwise, and they do struggle up every incline and they, they, it takes them many, many hours to do those miles and they're doing it because they lost someone they loved, you know? So it's (laughs) sorry for this emotional show, everybody, but it's the, but it, it, again, it's just like, Feeling that you can do something. So it's like this one thing they can do that feels like they're making a difference and they, you know, have some power over the situation. So it's, it's incredible to, to just watch that. And every night we sort of share stories and that's super emotional, but it, it's a really tight group as a family. And I just, um, I just love to do it when every other year. So it's a, it's a, it's a pleasure and it's an honor. And this year we're hoping to raise $300,000. And again, not a small 75 number for people. Yeah. Yeah. And we're close. We're getting closer. We hit, I think we're close to 270,000 at this point. We, we end up raising a lot during the ride itself. Um, and that will make the grand total money for this prac is what we call it. Uh, Pennsylvania primitive ride against cancer, $2 million total over the lifetime of this, of this charity ride. And wow. I think that is, I'm going to give us a pat on the back. Because <laughs> I, for an all volunteer operation, it's really pretty cool. And I would be a remiss if I said you couldn't still donate. You can to our efforts if you are inclined. It, five bucks, anything you have, it, it really does. It does count. Um, and we'll include a link to that in the show notes too. So that's that's what I'm up to. And you know, I, what are your what's your relationship with charity rides and all that? Uh, I- I've certainly done some. Uh, I did the Tanqueray AIDS ride. Uh, the one mm. that went from, oof, what was it? Raleigh, North Carolina. It went from somewhere in North Carolina. I don't remember where into Washington, DC. And we finished on the mall in front of the Washington Memorial. Oh, wow. And mm, the power of that event, you know, they had the big stage and, you know, people talking and music and, uh, I was, I was blown away by that. And then like everybody else later on, we found out that a tiny fraction of the actual money was going to help anyone. I did a very similar one in Montana and 15% was what went towards the charity. And I was, I was so upset. 
I, I think with the Tanqueray AIDS riots, it was even lower uh, because that's why they imploded. You know, it was like within within two years, they were gone because they'd yeah. lost all their credibility. Um, I've done some others and, you know, I, it's just such a terrific thing to see people out there decide, OK, I'm going to ride a bicycle for so and so, for my dad, for my mom, for whoever. Uh, and they take on, you know, this mantle of suffering to show their love for someone else. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, they are some of the more powerful events I've experienced on a bike. They absolutely are. Yeah. So, uh, there's one I might be doing this fall, so we'll see. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, I, for me, for me personally, I, I find that I need to, cause I've, I've done a few and it's not like all causes aren't important. They are, of course, you know, but there are some that I've done that I have no personal connection to anybody. And I, it's harder. I mean, it's not like I'm a very empathetic person. So yes, I mean, if I'm raising money for any cause where it is affecting any people, it is important, uh, you know, in my heart at some level, but, uh, but clearly like to drum up funds and to reach out. I've it. Me personally, I like to have a real personal connection to it. That's yeah. Well, it definitely makes a difference. It really does. Uh, I mean, when I did the AIDS ride, I, I didn't personally know anyone who had AIDS, uh, but I met any number of people who had lost someone, uh, or were HIV positive. And by the end of that week, you know, I've, I've felt, I've felt in touch with that community and yeah. what which that is, disease Which is useful, which is totally useful in its own right. Yeah. Yeah. I did yeah. an arthritis ride. Similarly, I did the, the one that goes up the coast. It goes from um, San Francisco to LA mm-hmm. and, or down the coast as the case might be, I guess. And I, I learned a lot. You know, I learned a lot about arthritis that I, I did not know, especially uh, rheumatoid arthritis. I mean, I learned, I learned very much that I did not know about that disease. So it was, I mean, that was useful in me just to be educated and, and even more empathetic, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Um, well, uh, what's the weather going to be like? Well, I, you know, we don't we don't look too far out here, Patrick, because <laughs> because it, it's never real. However, I have looked, of course, um, we we <laughs> we had that we had that incredible heat wave that we all survived. Um, that was yeah, it was real warm up in uh, Massachusetts last weekend. And the ski area is still there, by the way. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you didn't listen to last week's show. I did Tim Johnson's Wachusett. Am I saying it right? Wachusett. Wachusett. Yeah. I want to put, I always want to put more syllables in there to make it even more Massachusettsy. But anyway, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> so I did that thing up in New England, and the ski area is indeed still there. And I did want to ask you because the uh, the road up to the he. He had us on a dirt road that went to the main paved road that took you to the overlook, which was rad, uh, super rad on that. I got the QOM, by the way. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, but I, I was so psyched to be on dirt. There were a bunch of dirt segments and I didn't think the climb was going to include one. And it did. And I was really stoked about that. But it was like it was so hot. It was in the 90s. It was a very hot day. But it's, it, it broke and it looks Knock on wood, it looks good next week. So we always run into something, but if you if you get out early, you can usually miss if there's a storm rolling through. It's like anywhere, you can usually miss it. So yeah. good, good yeah. deal. Wow. Alrighty. Well, 
I'm going to get real today. We've got uh, real, we, real on <laughs> show yeah. is so real. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in a Bring different it. way. Okay. This, this one, I think it'll be a little less emotional. Uh, okay. I try to conduct myself with a degree of modesty and humility. However, on a couple of occasions recently, my expertise in cycling was referred to in a way that made me truly uncomfortable. Being praised is nice, full stop, okay? But on those two occasions, it really felt overblown. I know a lot, but I certainly don't know everything. And it got me to thinking about my past in cycling. Frankly, I was not always all that knowledgeable. And honestly, even after I became knowledgeable enough to write about the sport, there was plenty that I still didn't know. I must hasten to insert here (laughs) that none of this stuff is criminal. And I'm betting that some of our listeners may be doing these very things currently. And so as I share this stuff, (laughs) I don't want to make anyone think less of themselves or their participation in the sport. I mean to point out that I was not an expert in all the things. Okay. Got it. Case in point. In cool weather, I used to wear two jerseys if the weather wasn't actually cold enough for a vest. And sometimes, even when wearing a vest and arm warmers, I'd still wear a second jersey. But there were any number of times that under the jersey could be seen, the the under jersey could be seen through the over jersey. And it looked like the over jersey had been sublimated a second time, but with about a third of the necessary ink. Huh. Well, you were making your own base layer. You just didn't. Yeah, I was just converting existing (laughs) stock into base layers. Right, exactly. You know? Uh, the solution though was really easy Buy actual base layers. They probably worked the, better. Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. well, they fit better and there was a lot less bulk, you know, it was <laughs> much better solution. Here's another one. I used to ride chains until not only did I need to replace the cassette, it wasn't uncommon for me to need to replace a chain ring as well as the derailleur jockey wheels. I don't want to tell you that I still do that. <clears throat> <laughs> Um, and you know, let me add this, even as I worked as a bike shop mechanic, Uh, see now, okay. I feel better. (laughs) Yeah, you should. Uh, but there was an easy, easy solution. If you replace your chain every 2000 to 3000 miles, you won't need to replace the cassette Mm -hmm. back to wardrobe. I had this. Okay. Terrible habit (laughs) of buying gloves in colors that I liked. I'd be in the bike shop. I'd see a cool pair of gloves. Oh, look at that color combination. That's really neat. I had these winter gloves for many seasons that were uh, Pearl Izumi Thermo Fleece gloves. They were navy blue and orange. But here's the thing. My team kit, it was yellow, red, and black. And so you might see me also in green socks. Was it the 80s? So, uh, no, it's not the 80s. Oh, okay, no, sorry. <laughs> 90s okay. into the 2000s. <laughs> right, right. But this was, yeah, the late <laughs> 90s into the 2000s. Uh, and yeah, I just, I could not quite match. Again, easy solution. Buy gloves and socks in neutral colors so they'll match almost everything. <laughs> and it really, if you're only going to wear your clubs or team's kit, then buy a pair of gloves that matches the kit. Okay? not rocket surgery. (laughs) Uh, I tended to ride cleats well past their expiration date. 
it was not uncommon for the bolts holding the cleats to the shoes to be worn enough that making uh, that it would make removing the cleats difficult. I once wore down a look cleat so much that I managed to break the rear of the cleat cleat off and launch my foot out of the pedal while racing on the track. Oh, fortunately, I was not going very fast. It well, was you also slow. you weren't you weren't strapped in on top of the cleated in. I guess. No, no. It was, I was oh. just running standard look pedals. Uh, I had just started, I think it was a kilo. Uh, I had just started, but I was like in, in turn one. This was no oh time for that God. to happen. Did you crash? And, nope. Nope. But uh, my, my butt was hopping out of the saddle as I was trying to figure out what the hell to do with the rest of me. Uh, yeah. So not amazing. <laughs> amazing you didn't crash. I am the worst with that. You're making me feel, this is just reminding me of all my, I'm still real, real bad. You'd actually, what's your solution? Go ahead. Just replace your cleats more often. <laughs> beginning really, of every is that, season is, is that easy? Yeah, just, you know, beginning of every season. Do you, you actually do cleats? that? Uh, well. <laughs> Come on, that's you, you actually do that? <laughs> Well, here, here's the thing, because I review shoes and you oh, know, okay. I review pedal systems, yes. I'm coming into fresh cleats all the time. OK, that's fair. And, right, right. You know, but I mean, usually there is like one pair of shoes that are my my standards, my go to's, and they will get uh, new cleats the moment I really start to see any wear on the bolts. Uh, once I see scuffs on the bolts, they're they're done. Um, you know, I'm I'm tired of taking a dental pick and pulling little pieces of it gravel out. It is so hard to get them off. Once I mean, it's yeah, it's yeah, yeah. I've I've had to go to some pretty odd lengths to get them out. Um, yeah, okay. More than once did I ro- head out for a ride with too little food and water, resulting in bonks so hard that you could have used them to cut diamonds. Uh, again, easy solution. Think about the length of the ride in hours not in distance mm-hmm. that will give you an idea of how much food and water to start with for the first dozen years I was in the sport. I wore jerseys that were too big for me. So when I wore two of them, it was extra bulky. <laughs> okay. Part of my problem is that I actually lost a fair amount of weight and that included muscle mass in my shoulders and arms from my years as a drummer. At some point I looked down at my sh- Jersey and noticed that the pockets were hanging in the same place they would on my jeans yeah yeah kind of like a dashiki (laughs) (laughs) solution i stopped buying medium jerseys and i began buying small jerseys Mm -hmm. okay you've already fessed up oh boy what are are some others (laughs) there's got to be one or two you have i am a junk show i have confessed this so many times (laughs) i am people like it's i i embarrass myself sometimes i because i am I'm very, uh, I'm very single-minded. I'm very focused on the stuff I'm focused on, but I am real bad. I have many friends who are mechanics who are like, why don't you live closer so I could just go into the garage and steal that bike from you and make sure that, <laughs> like, sometimes when I try to step outside myself and look at my stuff with fresh eyes, I'm like, oh, my dear Lord, I must do something. Like, Because it's just what you're talking about. Like, I've got my I don't even want to talk about my what I do to, to chains and to drivetrains and to jockey pulleys that are just caked with seven twelve times I don't know what lube I put on again. Like I'm I'm 
all time at over lubing my chain at not cleaning my chain. I'm so bad. Do you ever wipe your chain off? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes. If, if you folks could see her face on the screen. <laughs> I, I, but the thing is, I can't really lie because then I run into everybody that has listened to this and they know that I've lied. <laughs> so, so yeah, I'm, they all know how bad I am. I am. And that's, that's just the thing. Like, and, but there's a lot of stuff that you, to your point, you don't, when you start out, you don't necessarily know. And people don't actually learn that for a while. And, and you can make the mistake just going from place to place. I think I said this before, like when, you know, when I went to dress for a cold riding, when I was out in Colorado, I, I was, I dressed, it was a nightmare. I, cause I had this really heavy Jersey over this heavy base layer and all this stuff and not realizing that. Color that Colorado cold was different cold, and I actually needed less but different layers. I needed a wind jacket and few like the whole thing. So you know, I think it's yeah. I think it's really common to do all that kind of stuff, like the, and just not even you know not and and you don't know. I, I think about that a lot too. When you when you buy a bike or buy anything at a shop, they rarely ask you your experience level. They rarely ask you it like or give you any advice on that, like. You know, this chain like it will need to be, you know, I mean, maybe they assume you'll come back or maybe they don't even think about it either. But I, I think most people have no idea how often to look at anything, honestly. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I won't begrudge anybody for not lubing a chain until it makes noise. That's my signal. Huh? I'll wait till the, the chain makes noise. Uh, That's better than having it so gunked up with like 12 layers of wax and other lube and whatever. You know. That, you know. We all make our choices. <laughs> if my chain can drip, I'm going to take a rag to it. <laughs> yes, yeah. the, these are good things. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the the, the cleat thing. I'm I am I pro- I probably had I I honestly very honestly probably have a pair of shoes that I had the same cleats on for seven years easily mm. easily. And they're no. not, they're, 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 you know, you could carbon date them and they're not going anywhere. <laughs> they're still in rotation though. <laughs> they're still, in, they finally left. I finally just tossed like all of that. I, I, as long as I'm sort of like clicked in and not going anywhere and some like the SPD, some of those things are so bomb proof. Some of those old things, like you just, you couldn't break them if you wanted to. But now I, you know, I, I don't think things last quite the same way, honestly. Maybe that's not, maybe that's not a terrible thing. Because replacing things now and then they work better for sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and one thing I have to grant is that, you know, as cleats wear, it's better that you start popping out of them than you can't get out of them at all. Yes, I would agree with that, too. I would. Agree. I, I w- that That is a terrible I, thing when you can't get out of yeah. your cleats. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, and hey, to but, be fair, to, to own this in a present tense sort of way. Just a couple weeks ago, maybe only two weeks ago, I replaced a set of SPD cleats on one of my pairs of mountain bike shoes because the right cleat uh, had worn away enough that it was starting to pop out of the pedal. And I found this on a descent when, you know, my right foot shot out to the side. Um, That's yeah. a terrible thing. Yeah, no, that's a terrible thing. There were, there yeah. worse, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, so I'm, I'm not, I'm not you know, hugely different from anyone else who's waiting for a sign from the heavens that maybe it's time to deal with this. Uh, 
That's a good one. I just like to think I have learned to listen a little better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, better than I did. Not better than everybody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I try. But, you know, like it's uh, it's funny. I just got not to go too off topic, but I just got those new um, aeroplastic speed play cleats. You know, the ones I'm talking about, the that have replaced the the metal ones. And I I love them in many ways. But I find that they remind me of the uh, and I've I've worn speed plays for ever since I start like 20 years. But the beginning speed plays were super, super, super finicky. Like if you got too much du- like dust in them at all, you weren't getting in yeah. or out, period. And then yep. they got a little bit better. Um, but these yeah, the I find, were better than the X's. These I find are a little finicky again. Like they they I need to I need to keep lub- them lubricated or I get. I walk around in some gravel and stuff. I I'm I'm getting in okay, but like I almost fell over to stop. Like I had to grab onto my like the guy was right, like Dave, and I'm like, ah, I'm just gonna lean here and uh, well, because I can't unclip. So I haven't um, had that happen in a while. Yeah how how long have you been running those cleats? I just got them. You know, I mean, okay, it's so just, it may be a matter. They just need to wear in a little bit better. Oh, uh, maybe that's a thank you for uh, making me feel yeah. like it'll be better. Because I've been now the other thing, you know, also check to make sure that you didn't tighten the bolts too much because speed plays will not work as well if the bolts have been have been over tightened. Oh, Mm -hmm. so uh, I don't know what the torque spec is, but, you know, you you tighten you tighten them fairly firmly, but not as tight as you could possibly do with a Phillips head screwdriver. Interesting. I, you know what? I should. Stuff. I I will look into that because I over tighten nothing. But boy, the boys that I know who get a hold of a torque wrench sometimes and make my pedal so I can't ever get them off my bike. Mm-hmm. That's a pet peeve of mine. Okay, I will. That's yeah. a, that's a good point. I'll look at that. Yeah, but those those cleats are awesome because they're way better to walk oh in. Oh my god, they're so much better to walk previous in. Speed. So much better yeah. walking. Yeah, and and they are seriously aerodynamic. Uh, you know, they they really do contribute. It's a it's a very smooth I, I, profile. It, yeah. Have you been to, in a wind tunnel and checked that out? Or are you just uh, giving? Well, I, I've talked to Richard Bryan. Oh, okay. You know, uh, and you know the the data that he got, and you know, I'm I'm willing to believe it. Um, no, know, they certainly never... look that way, and they're lighter. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't hurt. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, you know, that's one pedal system that keeps your foot really close to the axle. So your pedaling efficiency is very high. I have tried, yeah. I tried a couple of different times just because I thought I should, I don't know why, um, to, to move to other systems that, you know, people use. And I've always gone back to them. I've always, mm-hmm. that's just what I run on my road bike. Yeah. Um, I've never, yeah. the scissors are, are okay. Um, they have a, a different kind of engagement and I, which I kind of like, but I, the mountain bikes have been a little hit or miss for me. But on the road, I, that's all I run. Yeah. I mean, I've got the other stuff because I, I need to review it and, you mm-hmm. know, at least be conversant. But I tell you, you know, for, for urban riders, uh, you know, starting from stoplights, there's not a better pedal system. There's not a better pedal system. And I used to just punish people on group rides. I'd make sure I get right up to the front of the group. And the moment it turned green... I would attack and I would be in while people were still flipping their pedals over and I'd have 50 feet on people before they were really pedaling. And it was, Oh, it was a wonderful way to just punish people. It's a, it's a weird, yeah. The whole flipping thing is still lost on me, but uh, (laughs) anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All righty. 
uh, baseline picks. Sure. You know, it's, it's funny. It's, uh, what date is it? It's Jan- July 25th. And we have 25th. not mentioned the tour once on the show. <laughs> um, there's a little no, race. It's that, come up. This, I don't know. Has it? Sort of. At least a little bit. This, oh, this is racing. You did. Yeah. I think I am bringing it up again. There's this little race in France <laughs> going on. Um, so yeah, my, I know you don't pay as much attention to the whole men's pro. I, I get that the race scene, but I, my pick is going to be NBC gold. Um, I, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really do appreciate it. I, I, I put it on every morning and it's sort of working on in the background while I'm, while I'm doing my work and it's ad free because I do subscribe, but you know, I get, I also get the spring classics. I get some key cyclocross races. I don't have to listen to Chris Horner, um, on regular NBC and I'm, Sorry, I'm not usually negative, but boy, he is, I am he's not doing a real a real great job over there. He's I, he's just not I don't think he's meant to give commentary. Um, but I get to listen to the Australian team of Matthew Keenan and Robbie McEwen, which if you have not heard that, it is worth listening to. They are Yeah. They are delightful. They are just Cool. Yeah, they are what I imagine Paul and Phil were way back in the day. You know, uh-huh. I mean it's they're uh they just have a repertoire and a, a depth of knowledge and just, you know, even on the long, boring stages can just keep you engaged and, and just it, the, the timing is perfect and the color is perfect. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's I appreciate being able to uh, subscribe to a service like that and get really great footage and, and insights and interviews and, and color commentary. And, yeah, I know people are not. Everyone's always looking for, for, you know, where can I get a free, uh, you know, streaming? Where can I get free streaming? Where can I get free streaming? And I, I still think we need to, we need to be willing to pay for some of this stuff. I mean, uh, you know, you oh, and absolutely. I, yeah. Well, if we want to be able to keep seeing it, yeah. pay for it. I, yeah. I, I, I feel, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. It's funny that you should note that, you know, how good Robbie McEwen is. I don't know Matthew Keenan. But I remember when Robbie McEwen was one of the hot sets of legs at the end of tour stages. Oh, yeah. And that guy, you know, he was he was brusque and he was thorny. Oh, and, yeah, he was, you know, wasn't he? He was kind I of mean, a jerk. He was type A. Yeah, he was type A, which is what you kind of need in a sprinter. Yeah, I'm all that. That's fair. You know, and then on the other hand, you've got Chris Horner who is truly one of the most gifted strategic minds ever to come in to pro cycling. Mm-hmm. Dude is brilliant strategically. And yes. yet from what you're saying, terrible announcer. He's and so there's just no job, yeah. guessing who's going to be the good guy to listen to. That's interesting. That's an interesting point you bring up. And I, th- I think that's true in all sports. Now that I'm, now that you bring that up, you know, like I can think of on the even on the NFL side, like people you're like, wow, that guy's, really good and you wouldn't necessarily have thought that they'd be good in the booth and then somebody that you would think is just not bringing anything to the table so yeah yeah it's a whole different yeah. skill set <laughs> and Robbie McEwen is center yeah well right and he's also you know at this he's he's self-effacing and he's, he's just not you would not that that same personality that yeah and I remember that personality you're talking about just really isn't present at all in in the in the commentating interesting wow yeah. Now you make me want to watch. You should. Yeah. You should just. Three it, days to go. It's worth. Well, you know, they're in the Alps. It's getting. It's getting spicy. So, um, it's. I will say it's been a very exciting tour. Without Froome and without like the the, it it really has been 
anybody's game. And that's, and that's cool. what makes for a great tour. Yeah, yeah. it's been cool because you just don't anything could happen. And that's it's kind of fun to watch that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, I mean, back in 94 and 95, when, you know, it yeah. was a done deal that Miguel Indurain was going to win. Those were not fun races to watch. No. Uh, and so 1996 and 97 were like, holy cow, what's going on? And yeah, this one where it's not a done deal and a foregone conclusion that Enios is going to win. Yay. But that's even, even, it's funny you say Enios too, because one of the things I think that has made it really interesting as well is that without Froome, Enios does, is not that presence. They do, they are not rallying the same way behind any particular member of that team. So no one's no one is in charge of the race. You know, like there's no one team who has taken that role up in this tour. And that's been very interesting to watch because I think it's caused mm-hmm. um, it's caused some chaos. And it's called, you know, like it, it's made it really interesting to watch because. No one is shutting anything down, you know, like normally it'd just be like, right. Yep, that's very strategic. You go up there and shut that down and blah, blah, blah. And it's just not happening. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Those occasions where, yeah, a team, you know, he, for the last few years, usually for rooms, totally, you know, goes to the front, lifts the pace high enough that some of the most gifted climbers in the whole world are going, dude, I'm hiding out. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah. All righty. Anyway. My pick this week is the fit. It's the Fitbit Charge 3. It's wearable. Yeah. Uh, I had one of their scales years ago and didn't like it and returned it to the Apple store. So this is a very different experience (laughs) for me. So it's wearable and it tracks all sorts of health data from heart rate to steps to calories burned. It will lead breathing exercises, too. Uh, And if you you can use it as a GPS device to track, you know, your rides or runs or whatever. Uh, but the breathing exercise, seriously, for anyone who has ever felt anxious to have something sitting on your arm, you can just go, oh, I'm going to do that for two minutes. Not a bad thing. But one of the most interesting things that it does, and this is really the whole reason I bought, I bought it. Everything else is just gravy. The reason I bought this is because it will track your sleep. Mm. And that matters to me because Matthew Walker, a sleep neuroscientist, wrote a book called Why We Sleep. The New Science of Sleep and Dreams. Uh, I haven't read the book yet, but I've listened to a couple of interviews with him since the book was released in 2017. As a result, I've begun to see sleep in a whole new way. My big takeaway from what he has to say is that you really need eight hours of sleep a night if you want to get to old age and avoid dementia. Mm -hmm. So the Charge 3 analyzes your sleep by monitoring heart rate and breathing. Uh, and I mean that it can be so, so sensitive to tell when you're inhaling and exhaling, just remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Uh, the companion app, you know, on your iPhone or whatever will show you how much light sleep, how much REM sleep, Mm -hmm. how much deep sleep. And then even each time you woke up, even if it was for just a moment, like for those who have sleep apnea. So while I'm not yet to the point of achieving that magical eight hours of rest. Uh, The charge three, I believe is going to be a really useful tool in helping to get me there. It goes for 150 bucks and can be found most places selling wearables. 
Okay, so does it give you any sort of, um, you know, sort of like we talked about the whoop strap? Does it give you any recovery? Does it give you any data that Guidance? says? Yeah, I mean, just data that says like, okay, it gives you all like you spent this much time in REM and this much time in that. But um, do you get a sense of if you are you, no heart rate variability or anything like that? Right, you don't get a sense of like if you're recovered. Um, or how restored you are or how refreshed you are or how fatigued you still, you know what I'm saying? I think that's going to be a connection for me to make. I'll have the data and I will begin to correlate that with how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's, it's going to take a little more time. It doesn't give me any direct input on that, but you know, it does a number of things based on getting to know you. So it's got a certain amount of memory and Mm -hmm. as it, as it gets to know you better, I mean, when I first put the thing on, it just automatically sets your heart, your resting heart rate at 60. And since I've been wearing it, mine has dropped to 48 beats per minute for mm-hmm. my, for my resting mm-hmm. heart rate. Uh, and it's very interesting to be able to go and check it, you know, just at a moment's notice. And it's like, well, what is my heart rate? Right. Um, and, uh, you know, honestly, because depression has popped up twice in my life in the last five years, I want to do everything I can to keep an eye on myself and, and monitor those times where uh, I'm at risk for right. heading down a darker road. Oh yeah. And sure. anxiety is a big one. Yeah. And yeah. so for me, uh, this is a, a helpful tool, you know, biofeedback and the most classic sense uh, for just keeping an eye on that. Yeah. And, and sleep, I, I've written quite a bit about sleep and um, interviewed many people about sleep. I, some of the most interesting stuff I did was for AARP, the magazine, because you mentioned dementia and you mentioned that. I, I talked to um, the people that discovered the glymphatic system. Do you know what the glymphatic uh-huh. Yeah. Um, for why they didn't think that the body was connected to the brain, one will never know. But like for years, right, the scientists thought that it was just cordoned off there, you know, and there was no in or out as far as the lymphatic system was concerned. And then mm-hmm. lo and behold, they discovered that while we sleep, which, you, you know, like the those channels open up, like there's doors that just open while you sleep that allow your brain to drain, take out the trash, so to speak. And yep. now that's a big reason why sleep is so important is that that's when all the cellular waste gets washed in from the lymphatic system into the lymphatic system and get, you know, your body can get rid of it. Right. And so part of what came up in those interviews that I've listened to with Walker Mm -hmm. is that the proteins that need to be cleared out of your brain Mm -hmm. and shuttled out by the lymphatic system to the lymphatic system, all that real, all the filtering that goes on, the cleaning out of those proteins doesn't happen until hours seven and eight of sleep. Mm. Interesting. So if you sleep four hours, your brain's not clearing any of that out. The junk is just piling up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There seems to be, I don't know. I have not, I, I should read Matthew Walker's books. I have not read that one particularly. Uh, like five hours is definitely a cutoff where nothing good is happening underneath five, you know, metabolically yeah. on pretty much any level. Um, you know, once you get to six to eight, things look a lot better, you know, and, and mm-hmm. it's not clear yet if everybody needs eight, there's a genetic component to some of that. But I, I think globally speaking, what he's talking about is probably useful as a benchmark you know to shoot for yeah. because it's certainly between seven and eight there's there can be some some good stuff and and it's just like we talked about last week in that piece that i wrote that you know it, the, that sleep extension had a pretty profound effect on just 
restoring the whole system for, for, for performance. So yeah, I think I think meant, yeah. I think the brain has a lot to do with that. Totally. Yeah, it's uh, it's really affected how I want to treat myself going forward. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Alrighty. Well, I think that's a wrap for another episode of the Pace Line. Uh, well, let's see. Now you had uh, a, another piece that you ran at Bicycling uh, this week about how uh, when you exercise, your schedule for exercise, and how that affects your ability to keep weight off. Yeah. Uh, and that, that, that yeah, that was interesting. Uh, yeah, they're always looking at this stuff. They being scientists, you know, because everybody wants to know. I get so, you know, is it better to exercise in the morning or the afternoon? And, you know, so they they pretty much looked at um, there's a national registry of people who have lost weight. You know, it's 30 pounds or more and they've kept it off for uh, five years. And most of the people in the registry have kept it off for five years. The scientists in this study looked at people who had kept it off for at least a year and then they looked at like when they did their exercise and uh, it didn't actually matter it, it, as long as you're consistent in the timing of your exercise. So I think I think a lot of this is when you look at it, it makes a lot of sense. So if you habitually exercise at the same time every day, you are more likely to exercise more often. It was, was sort of their take home, like the people who exercise at the same time got an mm-hmm. at least an hour more of activity every week. Than the people yeah. who are more hit and miss or a little more erratic in their timing of it. And I think there's a chicken and egg thing that goes on here. But if I look at my own personal self, that makes a lot of sense. Like if you if you do, if you set yourself in a time and you, you know, I, if you ride in the morning, then you ride in the morning. That's what you do. You know, when, as soon as you start like getting into your day, that is part of your habitual self. And your brain just goes there as opposed to. Oh, sometimes I do after work or sometimes I do at lunch or I do it whenever, like whenever is sometimes never. And it's, you know, it's really, I think, getting into scheduling. If you want to ride, scheduling yourself to ride or scheduling yourself to do whatever exercise is super, super important. And most of the people who did exercise consistently and were successful were morning exercisers. They were early morning. And there's no surprise there because that's the one time of the day that most of us have before all everything goes sideways right you can get up and like the, you're not going to because i even myself like if i i i if i wait too long into the afternoon it gets harder and harder and harder you know like for me to get out the door like there, 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 yep. there comes a point at which things the day just starts piling on and my energy starts to go down and it's just it's becomes more of a mission to change and get out the door than if I just get up and get my clothes and go, that's ideal. I can't always do that. But then if I don't, I, I may, I'm like, I write it down. I'm going to write it lunch. I'm going to write it, you know, whenever and schedule it. Cause scheduling leads to consistency and consistency leads to success most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I certainly, you know, ever since I stopped writing first thing in the morning, I don't record as many miles each week. That's not absolutely surprising. not. Yeah. That's not. Yeah. But sometimes life doesn't let you do that. And, you know, that's it's little people. Yeah, that'll change things. <laughs> it, it does change things for a while. And then, you know, little people become bigger people. And sometimes you get that time back, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. And I should probably say, hey, happy birthday to my son, Philip, often referred to today. as mini shred. To, today, he enters double digits. He's 10 years old. That's a that's a that's a milestone. Yeah. 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 He's pretty stoked about it, too. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for him. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be a fun evening. Oh, happy birthday. <laughs>
Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I should mention a piece that I did uh, earlier this week called The Land. Oh, I saw that. It, kind of a, a meditation on on place and how the landscape affects us, um, how we view it. And you know I'm what not I, even sure where that came from. You know, what I, <laughs> you know what I found so interesting about that is that at, my brother used to live in New Mexico. And that was the first time that I had gone out west was when like out in those. And you mentioned agoraphobic sort of feelings about being in a place like that vast with nothing. And I, <laughs> I, I kept feeling like I was like an almost a meaningless ant. Like I was driving on these New Mexican roads and like, I'm like, I could perish out here like one of those cartoon characters in the desert and nobody would ever find me or like. It was a very strange sensation. And I was so relieved when I got back on the East Coast and felt oyster, a cocooned in my little canopy of trees and houses and neighborhood. Like it's it's interesting. It is. It's interesting, like how that kind of I mean, it's sort of it's beautiful out there. But I find I find it overwhelming, too. Like I like that I can sit on my porch and look at the mountains and the hills and go, oh, I'm going to ride there. And there's all kinds of stuff in between, not just this vast open nothingness. Yeah. Yeah. It took me a long time to figure that out. That's the part that sort of amazes me is that there were, there was this, you know, anxiousness of looking out. Uh, you know, I was overwhelmed. I was also, you know, amazed and mm-hmm. humbled mm-hmm. and, you know, it's beautiful, but there was this undercurrent of emotion in there that was uh, it, difficult for me to sort out. It took years and years to figure that out. And then when I finally did, it's like, oh, no wonder I love Sonoma County. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think people have the revert, you know, everyone responds to their environment differently and, and that's a huge part of it, but yeah, it was cool. Yeah. And there's bound to be somebody who would come here and be completely claustrophobic, totally. you know, by that's these little collars yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, well, I guess I should mention our Paceline kits from Primal. Uh, they're in the RKP store. Come and get them. Right on. Hey, keep those questions coming. You all have been sending some great stuff, even if we didn't deal with any this week. <laughs> uh, if you've got an idea, Always please good. drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Before we go, I'd like to put in a plug for RKP's other podcast, The Pull. The show features artisans talking about their craft in one-on-one interviews. Think Terry Gross for cyclists. This week's show features Rudy Young of Black Magic Paint, who won best finish at the North American handmade bicycle show back in 2017 with quite literally one hand tied behind his back. We'll explain that more in the show. Hmm. Uh, so we will be taking next week off while Celine rides across her state Tune back in two weeks from now. Uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.